But before we look into God's word, let us speak with him one more time. Heavenly Father, we do again thank you for your word. We thank you for this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered so many years ago. We thank you that we still have it in our hands today and that it still has meaning for us so many generations removed from that first generation that heard it so many years ago. We pray that we may indeed have insight into it, that it may speak to us and that we may apply it to our hearts and that we may become more blessed in your eyes as a result of reading your word and it building us up. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? When I think about what it means to be blessed, I think of the blessings that I have in my life. I have those things that make me happy, those things that I count as blessings. So the blessing it is to be married, to have a wife, the blessing it is to be expecting a child. Children are are supposed to be a blessing from what I've told. I haven't experienced it so far myself. And Jill seems to not necessarily count it as a blessing so much at the moment. It seems to be something that is more of a, uh, a bit of a, a suffering, a time of suffering for her. But yes, they're supposed to be a blessing. And I have many other blessings in my life that I'm thankful for and happy about. The, the fact that I have a computer. I love my laptop and I love the connection that I have to the internet. I love my library. I love my books. And they are counted as blessings to me as well. And I even love my television set. I love the enjoyment that I get from that and the movies that I can watch and enjoy. Is that what it means to be blessed? Is that what it means to be blessed? To think about the blessings that we have and the things that make us happy. Is that what it means to be blessed? Is is about happiness. Some people, when they translate uh, these verses that we've read this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, there's some versions that say, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Is that what it means to be blessed? It means to be happy. Well, happiness is part of being blessed, but I don't think it's all that it means to be blessed. Because blessing is ultimately about having the approval of someone, to being approved by someone. That's what it means to be blessed. It means to have someone's approval and then the blessings follow that. What's the best way to understand that? It's probably the, the, that part of our lives in Western society and uh, through most societies about when you're going to that time of getting married. What do you do when you want to get married? Well, you ask for the blessing of certain people. Firstly, you ask for the blessing of the person you want to marry. So in my case, I asked Jill for her blessing. Uh, That's what I was asking of her when I wanted to get married. Is she willing to be a part of this marriage that I have uh, planned out? Does she bless it? And then later on, once I got her approval, some societies you do it the other way around, I then went to her father and uh, said, can I speak to you for a moment when we were over there one night? And I asked for his blessing upon the marriage and then we were officially engaged. We only announced the engagement once we had the blessing of her father. Don't ask me what I would have done if he'd said no, but, um, but that is what I was asking for his approval when I went to him and asked for his blessing on the marriage. And so I had his blessing. And that's what it means to be blessed by God. It means to have his approval. And we actually approve of God ourselves. We bless God. 
We see that in, uh, you know, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see it all through the Bible. We are saying, we approve of you, God. It's not a condescending approval, but it's a sign of our praise for him, that we approve of him as the God who is over us. And so we bless him. And so we should seek his blessing as well. We should seek his approval. Why should we seek his approval before all other people's approval? Because he is the God of the universe. He is the one who made us. He is the one who is in complete control of all things. He is the one that you would want the blessing of before all else. And so when I wanted to get married to Jill, I firstly assessed whether she is a person that God would give his blessing to that I should marry. Is she a Christian? Is she a person who exhibits Christ-like qualities? Would God bless my marriage to her? He is the one that we go to first and foremost for blessing because he is the greatest, he is above all. And so it is wonderful material that we have here in the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of this sermon that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks because it actually tells you how you have God's blessing, how you can be blessed by God. And they're actually called the Beatitudes because their attitudes or conditions that God blesses. And so under these certain conditions, God gives his blessing. And so it's a wonderful thing to have this here, that we aren't left in the dark, that we know what conditions God gives his blessing to. And so over the next two weeks, we'll be looking at these Beatitudes. And we're going to look at them firstly this week. We're going to look at the first four. There's eight of them all together. And then next week, we'll look at the, the next four And that's because they seem to divide into two sort of groups. The first four are primarily concerned with our relationship with God, our attitude towards God, so what we call our vertical relationship. And then the next four are more concerned with our horizontal relationship, our attitudes towards those around us, to our fellow men and women. So first week we're going to look at the the four that relate to our vertical relationship, our attitude towards God. And the next week we will look at the one and the attitudes which God gives his approval to for those around us, those attitudes that we have for those around us. So that's what we're looking at this week, is those attitudes, those conditions that God gives his blessing to in our relationship with him. So we'll look at those now. The first beatitude, therefore, is the one that's given in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. The first attitude, the first condition that we're expected to have is a poverty of spirit, to be poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Does it mean financial or material poverty? No, that's why he clarifies that it's not just poor, that it's actually those who are poor in spirit. That it's not about having less in our, our material possessions or our financial uh, wealth. It's about being poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means to recognise our poverty before God because of our sinfulness. When we look at our lives, we see our sin and we recognise that we are helpless before God, that we are poor in spirit. In spiritual matters, we are completely impoverished that our sin has come between us and God and we are helpless before him. We look at our sin and we see just a complete spiritual desert there. 
And then we are blessed for having that. We are blessed for being poor in spirit, for recognising our poverty. And if you don't think that you are poor in spirit, then I ask you to look at the Bible and what it expects of you. Read this Sermon on the Mount this afternoon. Read from uh, Matthew chapter 5 on and look at the standard that Jesus asks of us and ask yourself if you fall short of that. You realise very soon on that you have murdered people because whoever hates his brother, Jesus says, has murdered someone that you are an adulterer because if you've ever lustfully looked at someone then you have committed adultery in your heart. The standard is there and we fall short of it and that is a recognition of our spiritual poverty before God. And this of course goes against what the world teaches us about if you want to be blessed you've got to be positive in your thinking. You can't be negative in your thinking about yourself. You've got to constantly boost yourself up. You've got to find out what can make your self-esteem better. That's what it's all about these days, is self-esteem. And you go into bookstores and they have lots of self-help books, ways to build yourself up and to not think terribly of yourself. And then you will be blessed. That's what the world tells you. But what does God tell you? What does Jesus tell you? He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who recognise their spiritual poverty, their helplessness. So that's the first beatitude, is blessed are the poor in spirit. The second beatitude is in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is the next logical step. So you see with these Beatitudes, they're actually building on top of each other. They're going in a certain direction and the first one comes and then the next one builds on top of it. Spurgeon sees it as sort of a ladder that you go up rung by rung and so you're building up as you're working towards this attitude towards God. And so the second one there is about mourning. And this logically follows being poor in spirit because being poor in spirit is kind of like the intellectual acknowledgement that we are poor in spirit, that we are impoverished before God because of our sin. And once we recognise that, what follows? A mourning follows, a sadness over your sin. You recognise that you are poor in spirit, you are helpless before God because of your sin. And so you start to mourn, you start to grieve over your relationship with God, that you are a sinner, you are helpless before him. And you start to not just grieve for your own personal sin, but you grieve for the sins of those around you. You see the state of the world, how they are following off after themselves and getting nowhere in the process, that they aren't going to be blessed by God. And that grieves you as well. You start to be upset about your sin and the sins of others and you start to mourn over it and grieve over it. And this of course goes against what the world says as well. It says be positive in your thinking, don't be poor in spirit and don't mourn, don't mourn. What does it say? Here is a little song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy. In every life we have some trouble, When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlord says your rent is late. He may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. That's what the world says. 
You haven't paid your rent? Don't worry about it. You've sinned against your landlord by not paying what is due him. But don't worry. Be happy. Don't mourn over your sin. Be happy about it. Then you will be blessed. You'll make your troubles double if you worry about your sin. Don't worry. Be happy. You'll be blessed that way. But what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, who do worry about their sin. And then what follows that? We've seen that we see we're poor in spirit, we see that we mourn. The third beatitude that we're looking at this morning is verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to be meek? Well, some people associate meekness with weakness that if you're meek, you're letting everyone stomp all over you all the time. But being meek here is in reference to God. We've been building up from a poverty of spirit to a mourning over our sin and now we see that we're meant to be meek before God and that means that we do. We submit to God and his law. We start to throw up our hands. We've recognised our sins. We've recognised how terrible we are before God, that we are sinners and that that makes us mourn and we just say, Lord, I haven't got the answer. I don't know how to manage this problem of my sin. I can't stop sinning. I can't save myself. And so you throw up your hands and meekly come before God and say, you tell me what to do. You tell me how to behave. And so this is what the opposite of what the world says as well, doesn't it? It says you don't submit to people. You don't be meek. You certainly won't. What is the promise that comes with it? For they will inherit the earth. You don't inherit the earth if you are meek and submit. Those who win the earth are those who dominate. What does Darwinism teach us? What does evolution teach us? Survival of the fittest. Those who fight tooth and nail and dominate those around them, they are the winners of the earth. They are the ones who will win. Submit That's just a dirty word. You don't use that. You don't submit to others. But here we see that God says, that Jesus says, blessed are the meek, those who come to God and say, your will be done and not my will. You have to tell me how I can get out of this state that I'm in, this impoverished state, this state that I'm mourning about. And so you come meekly to God and say, What will you have me do? How will I be saved? And then that leads on to the fourth beatitude, the fourth one there, which is in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You are meek before God and you submit to him and his law and to his word. And what does that then do? That makes you start to hunger and thirst for righteousness because you see the standard that God requires in his law. You've meekly come to it and you see the standard that he requires. If you are to go into heaven, you must be holy and blameless, he says. He says you must be utterly righteous. And you see that there and you go, I want that. I'm hungering and thirsting for that. Just as I hunger and thirst for food, When we hunger and thirst for something, we recognise that we need it. We need this thing if we are to survive. 
And it's the same with righteousness. We hunger and thirst for it because we recognise that we lack it, which is what you do when you, uh, when you hunger and thirst for food and water. You recognise that you're lacking it. And so it is with righteousness. We recognise we lack it. We've recognised our poverty of spirit. We've mourned over it. We've come meekly before God. And now we hunger and thirst for that righteousness, that righteousness that is required of us if we are to go into heaven. And what is the promise that comes with that? It says there in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. It's interesting there, it doesn't say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will fill themselves. No, it's a passive. It says they will be filled, that something outside of them acts on them. And that's what God does. He is the one who comes from outside us and gives us that righteousness that we hunger and crave. How can we have that righteousness that comes so that we can go into heaven? It comes through Jesus Christ. That his life and his death here on earth enables us to have righteousness before him. Enables us to be righteous in God's eyes and also enables us to start living righteous lives here on this earth. There's two types of what we call sanctification as Christians. There's two types. There's definitive sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. Sanctification being made holy. That's what it means to be sanctified, is to be made holy. And to be made holy is to be like God, to be righteous before him. And so we get definitive sanctification from God in that when God looks at us, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he sees Christ's righteousness and not our own. So when we get to that judgment throne that day, God looks at us and says, righteous because he sees us defined as righteous because of what Christ has done. And then we see we get progressively sanctified as well. In this life, God comes and gives us the strength that we can stop sinning, that we can start to overcome the sins in our lives. Now, we don't completely stop and become completely perfect in this life, but we progressively become more and more holy in his eyes as we continue to overcome the battles in our life with sin, that Christ comes and gives us the strength so that we can be more holy until that day when we die or Christ returns and we, are completely, we have our lives completely eradicated of sin and we are then righteous for eternity. We will sin no more. That's the righteousness that we hunger and thirst for, those two righteousnesses those two types of righteousness, the, the one that comes to our account immediately as soon as we are Christians and enables us to get into heaven and that other righteousness that we progressively become more holy because we are walking before the Lord and we love him for what he has done for us. It's not that that one saves us. The first one saves us. The one that we see Christ, his righteousness put to our account, that saves us but then we exhibit righteousness as we live before God. So these are the four attitudes that we have to God. These are the four ways that God then gives us blessing. And so if you uh, have these then, then you experience his blessings. 
You experience his approval, which is what it says at the beginning of each verse. Blessed, so you are blessed by God. You have his approval. But then remember that I said that part of being blessed means that you have blessings. You do have things that make you happy. And that's what comes in the last parts of each verse. If you have these four attitudes, then you have the blessings of God. What does it say in verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have the kingdom of heaven if you are poor in spirit. What does it mean to have the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? Does it mean just a spatial location that we go into a kingdom where there's walls around us and that we wall ourselves in and we're part of a new kingdom? Well, one day there will be a spatial element to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God, and we will be in a new heavens and a new earth. But we are part of the kingdom of heaven right here and now. We have the kingdom of heaven. What it means to be a part of the kingdom of heaven is to have God as our king. We meekly come and submit to him and he is our king and ruler. He is Lord over us. And so then we are part of his kingdom. And just as a king cares for his people, a good king always cares for his people, looks out for his people, so we are, if we are part of the kingdom of heaven, we have God as our king caring for us and looking out for us. He is a good king, better than any king the world can offer, better than any prime minister the world can offer. God is our king and we have that kingdom of heaven, we have that blessing if we are poor in spirit. What are the other blessings that we have? Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we mourn for our sin, we will be comforted. We as Christians are not called to always be sad and droopy and the wet blanket at every party. We actually are told to rejoice. We mourn but then we rejoice because we know that Christ has forgiven our sins. We mourn over our sins but then we rejoice because there is an answer. There is an answer to the sin that we have and that is Christ's forgiveness at the cross that he died so that we could be forgiven and so we rejoice in this life and then in the next life we rejoice as well because we will be in this eternal bliss where every tear is wiped away where pain and suffering are no more what more could you want to be comforted than to have all pain and suffering taken out of the world those who mourn over their sin will one day be comforted beyond what we can possibly imagine. We can't imagine a world without colds, without people around us continually hurting us. But there will be one day for those who mourn over their sin, who do worry about their sin, they will be comforted one day. And what's the other blessing that we get? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We inherit the earth now in the sense that we are content and satisfied, that we start to look around us and we don't continually crave more and more and try and build up our wealth and our possessions. We actually inherit the earth now, that we start to see that you know, the sky is mine, the, the wonderful paintings that I can go and see in other people's houses or at the art gallery, they're mine, I can enjoy them, I can be content with those. The music that I can listen to, that is mine. 
Everything around me is mine because it's a blessing from God. The weather he gives me, it's mine. He gives us the earth now. We can experience godly contentment in it. And then we also get that new heavens and the new earth as well. We will have an eternity of enjoying this wonderful heaven and this wonderful earth that we have because we are meek, because we submit to God and his law. And then the last one there, the the blessing there that we've already touched on, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We have righteousness both in this life and in the next life that God sees us now as righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ and all through eternity we will be righteous because of what Christ has done. But if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, then you would go with the opposites of all these attitudes, wouldn't you? You would not recognise your spiritual poverty. You would not mourn for your sin. You would not see your sin as a problem. You would not meekly submit to God's law. Why would you submit to anyone? You would not hunger for righteousness, particularly when the world tells you, postmodernism tells you there's no difference between right and wrong, that there's only grey. Why would you hunger for something that doesn't exist? I actually had a conversation to a friend and she said, I said, surely you admit that what Hitler did was wrong. What he did to the Jews was wrong. And she said, well, not from his perspective, that there's always a perspective on things. And so things aren't necessarily right and wrong. Nothing's black and white. It all depends what viewpoint you're taking. So if you're not a Christian, then it doesn't surprise me that you wouldn't hunger and thirst for righteousness, particularly if you've grown up in the postmodern age. But if you see yourself in these, that you're not recognising your poverty of spirit, you're not mourning over your sin, you're not meek before God and you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then know that what it also says, that you aren't blessed before God, that you aren't approved by God and you will never experience his blessings. Those blessings come to those who have those attitudes, who have those conditions. You are not in the kingdom of God. You are not going to be comforted for an eternity. You are not going to inherit the earth and you will never have righteousness. That's what it means to not be a Christian. To not have those attitudes and to not have those blessings. If that is you, you are here this morning and you have those attitudes, don't. Have the blessing of God. Get his approval by having these attitudes, you can have them right now. You can quickly cycle through them really quick. You can mourn at your impoverished state before God. You can, you can recognise your impoverished state. You can mourn about it. You can meekly submit to God and you can say, I want that righteousness of Christ. And you put your faith in him this morning. Believe that what he did at the cross was for you and you are immediately righteous and you immediately have all those blessings. You are part of the kingdom of heaven. You are comforted. You know that your sins are forgiven. You know that you will inherit the earth, and you know that you have been filled with righteousness. And if you are a Christian, and you are here this morning, 
Look at these things and see whether they are part of your life. Do you recognise your impoverished state before God, that you are poor in spiritual matters? Have you ever recognised that? If you haven't, there's something wrong. These Beatitudes aren't something up for negotiation. They aren't like the gifts of the Holy Spirit where some people get one and some people get another. You can't say, oh, I'm going to have the morning but I'm not going to be meek. I'm not going to submit to God's law. No, you've got to have all four of these. Do you recognise your impoverished state before God? Do you mourn about your sin? Each day, do you reflect on your sin? And do you experience sadness over it? When you sin and immediately afterwards do you think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mourn over your sin. That's one of the Christian attitudes to have. Do you submit to God's law or are there certain parts of it, certain parts of his word that you don't submit to, that you don't come meekly to, that you hold yourself above those bits? You're happy to be meek on certain issues but not on others. And do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you progressively always want to be more righteous before God? You see the sin in your life and you recognise that you need to be righteous. You need to be better in his eyes. And so you continually strive off after that. We need as Christians to be continually exhibiting these attitudes if we want to be blessed by God if we want to have his approval and to experience these blessings, then we need to see these in our own lives and the lives of those Christians around us. May we all continue to develop these attitudes so that we may indeed be blessed by the God who made the universe. Amen. Let me speak with our Lord now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be blessed in your eyes, that we can have your approval and that with that blessing you then give us so many blessings that make us happy. We pray that we may indeed recognise our impoverished state, that we are poor in spiritual matters before you. We pray that we may mourn over our sin, that we may not be happy with our sin but that we may always want to be eradicating it from our lives. We pray that we may meekly submit to you because we recognise that there is nothing we can do that we have to come to you and ask for help, that we can't come up with our own laws, but that we have to come to you and ask what you require of us. And we pray that we may indeed hunger and thirst for righteousness, We thank you that we have all these blessings, that we are going to inherit the earth, that we will be comforted, that we can be even comforted now. And we pray that we may rejoice in the salvation that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ, that righteousness is to our account. And we may indeed want to tell many others about the way that they can be saved. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.